So we just started this series on the Reformation. We're a few weeks in now, um, and uh, today we're talking about the priesthood of all believers. So um, very excited about that. I'm going to start, though, with maybe one of the more uh, infamous figures in the Reformation, someone that uh, really drove Martin Luther nuts, and that was a man by the name of Johann Tetzel. Uh, Johann Tetzel was a Dominican friar he uh, from Germany, and he is one of the guys that was selling indulgences uh, to people. Now, indulgences were kind of like a, um, a basically piece of paper that would uh, grant uh, a release from temporal punishment uh, in purgatory. It would be a release from that. And, of course, Luther had a huge problem with that, and, uh, and, and that kind of led to his uh, speaking about justification by faith. They were totally forgiven. Um, one of the one of the stories Luther tells about Tetzel, and 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 so scholars talk about this guy, and and there's some differences of opinion. Some people say, well, he was very much out of line with traditional Catholic teaching, and so he kind of went off on his own. And certainly, I think there's this admission that there was some vulgarity behind the whole thing. He had a phrase that kind of went like this: um, if, if you were to pay for this piece of paper, that would uh, that would take away temporal punishment of sin, um, he would say something like, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Now that, that's kind of crass by any standard, right? You know. And so a lot of scholars, both uh, Catholic and Protestant, say, no, that's, that's not right. That's not how it is. Um, Luther, in fact, would write uh, a story later. He said there was once a nobleman who came to Tetzel in Leipzig and uh, spoke to him and uh, asked him, could you grant me an indulgence for future sin that I'm going to commit? And as the story goes, Tetzel said, yes, I can do that as long as you pay right now. I'm leaving Leipzig soon, so you got, you got to pay right now. And so the nobleman paid, and uh, whatever sum of money that it was for this future sin that he was going to commit. And then as Tetzel left Leipzig, uh, apparently the nobleman chased him down at some point and beat the guy up took all of his money back and said, that was the sin I was going to commit right there. That was the one. Um, so uh, a, lot, a lot of interesting stories uh, surrounding Tetzel and uh, a lot of difficult, difficulty there. But one of the things that was born out of all, of all of this was this notion that Christ is our high priest. And we read about that in Hebrews during the service. Christ is our high priest. And if he is our high priest, that makes us a kingdom of priests. We, we are Christ priests. And I want to kind of develop that theme out of uh, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9. So if you would turn there, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9. Let's see. All right. For some reason, I feel like right now I'm in a, I'm in a sword drill and I'm trying to find it before you. You know, I don't know why I feel that way. First Peter two, four through nine. I've got it though. I've got it. First Peter two, four through nine. It says this: As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, 
I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will be never, never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, um, I'll just have you notice that Peter calls us a priesthood twice. In verse 5, he calls us a holy priesthood. And then later, as we just read, um, he calls us a royal priest. That's verse 9. He calls us a royal priesthood. So my, my point is really simple this morning. We are a holy priesthood and we are a royal priesthood. We, we are both of those things. And of course, that leads you to ask the question. I asked myself this question this week. Why does Peter say it twice? Why does Peter say you're a holy priesthood and then a little later, a few verses later, he says you're a royal priesthood? Well, I want to answer that question. And, and, and actually, uh, I'll start in Exodus 19.5. Just You can listen to these words. Uh, God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So even in the Old Testament, you had God saying, I want my people to be a kingdom of priests. It's been that way from the beginning. God has always wanted to have a whole people devoted to him as priests. And that is us. We are the royal priesthood. We are the holy priesthood. Now I wanna, I wanna dig in a little bit there. When we say holy priesthood, what we're referring to, I believe, what I believe Peter was referring to is going back to Exodus and talking about the Levites. I think he was going back to that time and saying, you were like the new Levites. So there was the order of Aaron. Aaron and, and the Levites, they were the priests in Israel. And they would offer sacrifices to God and they would take the animals to the altar and they were the priests among the nation. I think it's interesting that he says, you're a holy priesthood, meaning they were set apart. They, they were a sacred people. They, they were different than anybody else. It was holy. And so these holy people would offer sacrifices acceptable to God. So you think of sacrifice, and you may wonder, well, what, what kind of sacrifices do we offer as people in the New Testament? We are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God. And if you look up the word sacrifice, you come up with things like um, a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Paul talks about uh, giving a gift of money, and he calls it a sacrifice. So our good works, and, and maybe, the, maybe the greatest passage being Romans 12.1, which one of the children read today, which was offering your bodies as living sacrifices. So now we don't offer a bull or a goat, we offer our bodies. Which is why we would say holiness in the church is so important. Because what we do with our body is a sacrifice. We don't just sin and say, it's okay, I, I know I'm forgiven. 
No, what I do with my body, I, I am a holy priest. You are a holy priesthood. Now he goes on and he talks about being a royal priesthood. So what does that mean? Um, to be a royal priesthood, I think, is a reference to uh, this. See, Old Testament, you had kings and you had priests. And, and scholars debate whether you can mix those up. Uh, Psalm 110 is one of those, those passages where it talks about, you get the idea that, that, that there might David might be saying, he is like a priest, almost. And so, so you kind of wrestle with these things. But I think one of the clearest instances of a royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood, is this mysterious guy in Genesis called Melchizedek. Uh, if you would, turn to Hebrews 7. I want, I want to show this to you, because we don't talk about Melchizedek a lot. I debated having one of the kids read this, but I thought, man, they're going to get the Melchizedek. It's going to be rough. You know? uh, Hebrews 7, if you would turn there just briefly. And we'll, we'll jump in around uh, 17. It says, For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So um, it's saying that Christ is in this, this order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this king in, the, in Genesis who meets with Abraham. We're not told a lot about him. We don't know his genealogy. Genesis loves genealogies. But there's not a lot about Melchizedek in there. He's uh, called the king of righteousness. And he ministers to Abraham. He gives him food and drink. And Abraham, in turn, gives him a tenth. Gives him a tithe. And so we do know that it doesn't seem like he's Jewish, so he's not in, in, in the line of Israel in any way. He's not Jewish. He is just this king that shows up. And yet it says, Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek forever. And so you get this sense that there is this king who's also a priest. And so Peter says, you are kingly priests. All of you, you, you are like, like a Melchizedek, in a sense. You are kingly priests. There's, there's a royal function here. What is the royal function? Well, if you're back in Peter, he says, it's to declare the excellencies, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's to declare excellencies. And I, and I love this word, excellencies. Um, let's see if I can illustrate it for you. Uh, the word excellency, and what we're supposed to declare as priests is the word in Greek, arete. Arete. Now, arete is this word that means, I think we can put it up on the screen. We have that, right, Jim? It means virtue or moral excellence. And this is what we're declaring to people. We're declaring God's virtue. We're declaring God's moral excellence to everybody. And... To get it kind of the meaning of that word arete, what we're declaring to people, I'll show you a few pictures. When you think, when you see something and you say that is perfect, that's perfect. That's like arete. When you talk about the love of God, that is the highest form of love. We look at the cross as the most beautiful picture of love, even though it's a, a horrible picture, but it's Christ's love for us, God's love for us. Arete. It's this moral excellence. Let me show you a few pictures. And, and these are things that I would say like just, just ways to kind of get in the same ballpark here um, as what we're talking about. Um, when it comes to art, 
Some of us see some of us see a painting and we would go, that is incredible. That is beautiful. I could never do that. That is such a perfect painting. I, I could just look at it, think about it, consider it. This is the uh, Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son. One of my favorite paintings. Um, I, I love this thing. I love I love what Rembrandt's doing in it. I, I love the the shoeless son. Um, some people have remarked that the father seems to have a more masculine hand and a more feminine hand there, you know. And so th- there's this tenderness of God um, with the brother standing beside watching. I love this. It's one of those paintings I'd say, Arete, it, it, it's perfect. It's excellent. I can never do it, but it, it's so great. Here's another one. Uh, Robert Frost, the great poet. Uh, two roads diversion of wood and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. One of my favorite poems. And it doesn't mean what you think it means. You know, a lot of us meant to memorize that poem, right? Uh, and, and I don't, I don't, I think, I think he's getting to be an old man and looking back on his life and, and making more out of the path than maybe what was really there, you know? But, but we know that last line, you know, cause it's so, it's such a, such a memorable line. But, um, it, there's some depth there that people miss. And, and I love that. I love considering that. You, you look at poetry and you say, what a perfect use of words. It's simple. And yet it's profound. Next image. Um, I tried that once. I got about two feet, two feet in front of me. Um, one of the most famous images of Michael Jordan ever, you know, like that's why they call him Air Jordan, right? Because he could jump like that. And you're like, how, how is that even possible to do that? And sometimes there's those those athletic moves, and you see someone do it, and you're like, that is just perfect. And there's no way I could do that with my body. But but he can, right? Um, remember that? Uh, oh, never mind. We'll keep going. All right, next one, next one. Um, last one. And for some of us, it's, you know, getting in nature. You know, you see the Grand Canyon, and you're like, how could I be in such a beautiful place that makes me feel so small, and, and, and to see God's handiwork, what he has done, in creation. It's arete. It's it's perfect. It's at this pinnacle, right? And Peter says, that is what you declare as priests to everyone else. You declare God's arete, his excellencies to everyone. That there's no one like him. There's no love like his. There's no holiness like his. He is at the top. He is the arete. Now, Considering that, what I want to do is, um, Luther loved this passage in 1 Peter. Um, he taught on the priesthood of all believers, that we are a kingdom of priests. Um, I want to show you seven implications that Luther had for this passage, but then I want to, I want to kind of summarize it with two. Um, and maybe, uh, yeah, we'll put all those up there, and I'm just going to talk through them briefly. Uh, according to Martin Luther, he would say, these are seven tasks that any believer can do, that any of us as Christians could participate in. These were his seven. Uh, you could teach and preach the word of God. Now, Luther was interesting because he viewed this as there's a private element of this and a public element. So in a public way, I'm preaching. And he would say pastors should preach publicly. But in a private way, you all have the responsibility to speak the word of God to one another. 
to share the word of God with one another. You were all preachers in a sense. And that's what Luther taught. A baptism. Now, Luther would also say that, yeah, normally you'd have a church leader, a pastor, a priest. Somebody would do the baptism typically. But he said, if you were in need, if it was kind of like a uh, emergency situation, anybody could baptize somebody else. That's what he taught. Uh, number three, again, in the same vein, you could administer the Lord's Supper as the priesthood. Number four, you could bind and lose sins. And by this, uh, Luther was saying that the church has the authority to announce the gospel, to talk about sin. And if someone rejects Christ, you could say, well, then you're not forgiven. You know, if you reject Christ, you're, you're not forgiven of your sins. You could tell someone this as the church. Number five, you could pray for others. You could pray for people. There's a ministry of intercession that we do as priests. Number six, you could sacrifice. Um, and by that, Luther means like all of those references in the Bible to sacrifice, like the sacrifice of praise, um, the sacrifices of thanksgiving, those kind of sacrifices is what he's referring to. And then seven, you could judge doctrine and spirits. So, so you would have a, a sense as the church of what is true doctrine. And it's not just what the person at the top says. It's what we are discerning as, as the church, judging doctrine and spirits. That was Luther. Um, here's what I would like to do. I would like to just share two things with you based on all of this that we've talked about so far this morning. And I want to describe it in this way. Can we get the vertical horizontal slide up there a little bit earlier that was in there, Jim? When it says we are a holy priesthood offering sacrifices, I view this as a very vertical kind of ministry. We're holy to God. And we offer sacrifices for the glory of God. It's a very vertical sort of thing. We have access to God as priests. But there's also this horizontal dimension where we do ministry for other human beings. That, that we, 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 we go to God, but we also bring God to man. We, we, we bring God to people. We represent God. We're Christ's ambassadors. So there's this horizontal thing going on too. And I would call that the royal priesthood. Just like Melchizedek met with Abraham and gave him food and drink, so also we meet with people and talk about Christ with them. We proclaim God's excellencies, his arete to people. I would like to share with you then two, I think, incredible implications for this whole priesthood thing that I hope would impact you where you're at today. Number one, we are not priests for ourselves but priests for one another. I believe in many places this notion of priesthood of all believers has almost run amok where we feel like, well, if I don't like what happened, you know, if I have a conflict in this church, I'll just find another one, right? Because I'm part of the priesthood. I can do whatever I want. Or um, I'm going to determine my own doctrine for myself. I'm going to look at the Bible and I'm going to say, well, I think it means this, so that's what it means. And I'll find a church that, that tells me I'm right. And I'll go there. But that is a very uh, individualistic sort of way to do things, right? That's like saying, 
I'm a priest for me. I'm my own priest. And it's me and God and I don't need all of you. And in fact, I'll find people that can tell me that I'm right. And that is not what the priesthood of believers is all about. That, that is, that's the last thing God had in his mind, that you would individually determine everything yourself and be your own little priest. It's a priesthood for everybody else. You're somebody else's priest and they're your priest. It's us ministering to one another. It's not this individualistic thing. Now, where do I get that? Um, when Peter says, you are a holy priesthood, the you is plural. It's all of you. And you are a royal priesthood. It's you. It's plural. It's all of you. It's not the priesthood of the believer. It's the priesthood of all believers, right? There's an S on it. It's not the priesthood of the believer. Knowing that then, what's, what, what do we do with that? Where, where do we go with that? You know, if we're priests for each other, what does that mean? And I think what it means is we do the one another's in the Bible. Um, the last part of this point is we are priests for one another. There are like over a hundred one another statements in the Bible. And that is our priestly duty to each other. I mean, you have love one another, obviously. You have be devoted to one another, honor one another, exhort one another, live in harmony with one another, care for one another, build up one another, serve one another, be like-minded towards one another, accept one another, admonish one another, submit to one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. Hold on. You know, um, how about a holy handshake, right? Okay. Uh, although I've been in churches like that, right? Have, have you? That's kind of fun. Um uh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, bear one another's burdens. You know, never mind. Okay. Um, speak to one, be, speak the truth to one another. Forgive one another. Be patient to one another. And, and the list goes on. I, and I got a whole bunch here. Um, and, and that's what we're called to do for each other. Like that is the priestly duty. It's not just for me. It's for everybody else. It's the one another's. You can't do priesthood by yourself. And I would suggest that in the evangelical church, if I'm putting a critical lens on who we are as evangelicals, I'm not talking about Catholics here, I'm talking about us as evangelicals, I think we've got this individual thing down to, so well that, it, that it's killing us, you know? That let's do it my way, I'm my own priest, and that was never the point of this whole thing. It was a priest for one another. Um. Number two, we also serve a prophetic role in proclaiming God's arete to the world. We serve this prophetic role and we proclaim how perfect God is, how awesome he is, his love, his holiness, his righteousness. We proclaim that. Now, in Peter it says, we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. Now think about that. I'm proclaiming the perfections of the God who called me out of darkness into light. We proclaim light to people in darkness. And 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 let's just be honest here. That's going to tick some people off. When you start talking about the love of God compared to the world's definition of love, those two things don't go together all the time, do they? And you're saying, God, your love is the best. And then don't get me started on holiness. You know, you start telling people God is a holy God. He has holy commands. And the church is going to follow those holy commands. And so 
the culture has its own ethics and its own morality. We're saying God's is higher. God's is higher. And that's going to make some people mad. This is a prophetic role, isn't it? When you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, they're always telling Israel, like, you guys have gone off course. This is what God wants for you. And they're like, forget you, you know. They persecuted the prophets. And if you open your mouth, they'll persecute you. Because you're declaring light to a people in darkness. And some people hate the light, even though they wouldn't say it that way. You ever been in a dark room for a long time and someone turns on the light and, 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 and your eyes aren't adjusted to it? You're kind of like like that? That's the feeling sometimes of declaring God's arete to the world. It's like, man, just just turn that down. Turn it down. I love doing that to my boys, by the way, in the morning. I flip the lights on, right? You know, you guys hate it. But, you know, it's the way it gets you up. It works. Um, Our role is a prophetic role as priests to this world. We're God's ambassadors. We shine light in dark places. And there's going to be pushback for that. But I just want you to remember, because you've seen the glory of God, because you've tasted His goodness in Jesus Christ, you have a message to tell the people. You have a priestly duty to the world. And you've got to go do that. Uh, to conclude here, um, I want to encourage you that we as a church are a church that has to do ministry to one another. And this morning, we have a ministry fair downstairs. Um, there's certain ministries that need volunteers, and this is an opportunity to say, I'm in. I'm part of this priesthood, and it's not just for me. I don't just come to church, check in, and then check out. I'm part of doing ministry here. Please take advantage of that. Talk to people downstairs at the tables. Ask them about their ministry. Ask what their needs are. And a lot of times what I think is we get this sense that I've got to sign up for something big, right? Like it's always something big. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot out of me. And some, some positions do require a lot of time. Don't get me wrong. But even if you have 15 minutes a week, what is a small thing you can do for the ministry of the church? What small thing can you do? For some of you, you have more time. So sign up for the big one, you know. But what small thing can you do for those of you that say, I just don't have any room for that? I bet you have 15 minutes. I bet you do. What can you do? Worship team, would you come up? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for calling us out of darkness into light. We're thankful that we are a kingdom of priests. Your, your desire from the very beginning was to have a whole group of people that was doing ministry for one another and for the world. And we are thankful to be part of that group. So I pray for those that have perhaps been on the sideline for a long time. I pray they get in the game and serve you in some way that you would call them to. I pray for those of us that um, when we talk about being light, we have people that come to our minds. People that have huge issues with you. And we get a chance to show them how excellent you are. 
the arete of the Lord. We get to show them that. I pray would shine bright. And even if there's pushback, even if there's that that uh, shame that gets placed on us for believing in an old book, that you would help us never to waver on the glory that we've experienced in that book. Your character, your very nature that you have revealed to us. May we see it as beautiful and proclaim it as the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.